Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues on his series in the book of Matthew with this sermon entitled, Christ Cures Anger, preached on May 18th, 1997. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. This particular passage teaches us what it means to exceed our righteousness, to exceed it, to go beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees. Here in this section of scripture, Jesus Christ exposes murder, a murder exposed. In the previous section, Jesus spoke about the character of the citizens of the kingdom of God in terms of the Beatitudes. Jesus also spoke about the function of the citizens of the kingdom, that we need to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus also spoke about his relationship with the law. He said he did not come to annul it to abolish it, to destroy it. He came for the purpose of fulfilling the law, the scriptures, the Old Testament. And then he also tells us that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. And now he gives us six illustrations of this demand that our righteousness should be greater than that of the Pharisees. And first in verse 21 he introduces this introduction. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. And then he says but I say unto you. And you see that in verse 21 dealing with murder that is the sixth commandment and you see that in verse 27 dealing with the commandment of adultery thou shalt not commit adultery he does the same in verse 31 dealing with the issue of divorce he says the same in verse 33 dealing with swearing taking oaths He says the same in verse 38 in regard to the law of retaliation. And finally, in verse 43, he deals with love for the enemies. In other words, he is giving illustrations concerning how our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of The Pharisees. So in verse 21 through 27 of chapter 5, he deals with the issue of the sixth commandment, which said, You shall not murder. First, let's look at the authority of Jesus. Who is this one who says, You have heard it said in ancient times, or you have heard it said? to the people of ancient times 
or you have heard it said by the people of ancient times. The Greek can have all these meanings. But I say unto you, who is this one who speaks with such authority? Notice Jesus is not contrasting his teaching with the teaching of the Old Testament. He is not contrasting his teaching with that of Moses. He is contrasting his teaching with the interpretation of the scribes and Pharisees of old. He is contrasting his teaching with the traditions of the elders. You should keep that in mind. Otherwise, he'll be contradicting the Old Testament. Which he himself authored. You have heard it said. It says. In ancient times. They didn't have seven, eight, nine Bibles. They didn't have Bibles. The only way to understand God's word. Was by hearing. Jesus did the same thing. His custom was to go to the synagogue. And there he heard. The word of God read. And expounded. But what the elders expounded was not the exact meaning of the text. And this is true even today. There are people who would say the Sermon on the Mount is not applicable to us. Our righteousness doesn't have to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You don't have to worry about any of those things. Let me tell you that is tradition of the elders. We have to repudiate such stupid view of God's word. Many teachers expound the scriptures. But they are not giving the true meaning of the word of God. They are giving their own opinions. Here Jesus says, what you heard is not the full and true meaning of the sixth commandment that says, thou shalt not murder. The elders only understood that law narrowly. As an outward act of taking one's life. They reduced the law of murder... And they did not take into account the spirit of the law. They were not proper teachers. But here Jesus says, but I say unto you. Jesus is different. His authority is different. Who is this one who says, but I say unto you. Who is this I? Who speaks with authority. Unlike the scribes who had no authority. Who is this I? He is greater than the temple, he said in Matthew 12. He said he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He said he is greater than Solomon. Who is this I who says, but I say unto you. John says he is God. John 10 and verse 30, Jesus declared, I and the Father are one. He was declaring that he was God. 
He is the eternal son of God. So understand he is more than a teacher. He is more than a prophet. He is more than a rabbi. He is God himself. He is the only perfect interpreter of the law. In fact, it is he who gave the law to Moses. He is the author of the law. He is the interpreter of the law. And as one who is born under the law, he alone is the perfect fulfiller of the law. So he gives us the in-depth meaning of the sixth commandment. As well as the in-depth meaning of the punishment when one violates this sixth commandment. Let's look at how Pharisees interpreted this sixth commandment. Scribes and Pharisees, just like modern evangelicals, they reduced God's commandments to a manageable proportion. They said the sixth commandment deals with the external act of murder. As long as you do not literally murder someone, you are okay. You have kept this commandment. As long as you do not literally and physically commit adultery, you are okay. You have kept the commandment. Also, the punishment of murder is to face a human court and be killed. But they did not teach about the greater punishment of facing the court of God and be sent to the eternal fire of hell. They didn't teach that. They did not teach that all sin is against God and must be judged by God. So the Pharisees practiced reductionism. They reduced the law to a manageable degree and then prided themselves by saying they kept the law. Turn with me to the 19th chapter of Matthew and let's look at this rich young ruler. Verse 16, now a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Verse 8, which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, you know them. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony and so on. And love your neighbor as yourself. Notice verse 20. All these I have kept. You see, you can only say that when you reduce God's commandments to a manageable proportion. And that's what these people have done. Now if you turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 6. Another Pharisee, he says concerning the righteousness of the law... Perfect, he said. And let me tell you, we all engage from time to time in this reductionism. We reduce God's word to our standard and pretend to have kept them. Well, let's listen 
to Christ's interpretation. The giver of the law. The interpreter of the law. The fulfiller of the law. And the one who demands that we keep the law. Sixth commandments deals not only with the external act of murder. But the internal state of our heart. Pharisee says murder violates the sixth commandment. That is the actual taking of one's life. Jesus says unrighteous and unholy anger also violates the sixth commandment. Jesus therefore calls attention not only to the outward act. But the inward condition of our heart. The inward root of anger. Jesus in other words points to the heart problem. In Matthew 15 you read Jesus said out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Genesis 6 and verse 5 says every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart is only evil all the time. Genesis 8 verse 21 says every inclination of man's heart is evil from childhood. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And nobody can fathom human heart but God who is called cardiognostis heart knower. So Jesus teaches the problem is the evil heart. So he says unholy anger is murder. Unholy speech is murder. When you say to your brother or you when you call your brother Raka. Which may be an Aramaic word meaning blockhead, bonehead, knucklehead. Meaning intellectually deficient you are. Or you call your brother fool. Which means morally deficient and idolater. When you call your brother Raka or fool. Jesus says you are committing an act of murder. Let's understand when you call your brother Raka and a fool. You are also calling his heavenly father Raka and fool. You call me fool. If you call me fool you are calling my father fool. Isn't that true? So notice the in-depth interpretation by Jesus Christ the giver of the law. You Pharisees only deal with the external act. You don't take into understanding the heart condition. So he says unholy anger is murder. Unholy speech is murder. Envy is murder. Jealousy is murder. In fact the first murder was committed by Cain because he was envious of his brother. He hated him because Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and his own was not accepted. He was envious and eventually he murdered him. So Jesus correctly understands 
Envy is murder. St. John, who listened to the Sermon on the Mount, tells us in 1 John 3 and verse 15, he says this, Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Let me tell you, if you hate your brother, and you refuse to repent and be reconciled to your brother, it is evidence that you are never born of God. That you have no eternal life. It's a serious issue here. Look at abortion. Abortion is murder. Isn't that true? So, I mean, you don't have to worry about that. We know that is murder. But notice, the mother has an evil heart and hates this baby within her as someone who interferes with her good life. There is a hatred first, which results in the external act of murdering the baby. The point I want to make is, behind that act of abortion, there is an evil heart. So Jesus says, evil attitude of the heart is murder. Evil words of the mouth against one's brother is murder. If you call your brother blockhead, you are murdering him. If you call your brother a fool, you are murdering him. If you engage in gossip and slander, you are murdering your brother, sister, by killing his or her reputation. Look at this in-depth, broad, and deep interpretation of the sixth commandment by our Lord Jesus Christ. Evil attitude is murder. Evil word is murder. And let me tell you, Jesus Christ himself, in Matthew chapter 12, let's turn to it, tells us that God is going to judge every idle word that we speak. Matthew 12 beginning with verse 33. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. And make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Everyone will be judged not only by some outward act that he committed in violation to his law, but also the attitude of one's heart and the evil thoughts he entertained and the evil words he spoke. Let me tell you, no human court will convict you of murder for evil attitude or evil thoughts or even evil word. You can have, you can speak hate speech. <laughs> Nobody will convict you of murder. There is no court in this, in this world who will do that. But let me tell you, but God will deal with these heart attitudes and punish these. So now you see the difference. Pharisees interpreted murder as just an out external act only. And its punishment as the punishment 
by a human court. That's it. But Jesus gave an interpretation which is in depth and comprehending the evil heart as well as evil deed that comes out of the evil heart. And he interprets the punishment also differently. Not only one must face human court, but one must face also divine judgment. Which judgment the Father has given to Christ to do? Christ will judge every thought and every deed. Every careless word. For every careless word we must give an account. Turn to the book of Ephesians. We are told how to speak. Chapter 4. Think about that. At verse 29 it says... Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, you speak so that you will not kill people, but build them up. Oh yes, God will judge. What is he going to judge? He is going to judge not only the deed, but also the heart condition. Paul says in Romans 2 and verse 16, This judgment will take place on the day when God judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. And the book of Hebrews chapter 4 it says, verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Pharisees interpreted the law not only re restrictively, but also only negatively. Not matter. Jesus, the Son of God, the lawgiver, the law interpreter, the law fulfiller, interprets it exhaustively and positively. The law that says thou shalt not murder also obligates us not only not to murder, not only not to be angry with our brother, but also to love our brother and do all within our power to build his life up. We have an obligation to feed the hungry brother, clothe him, house him, help him with his medical care, rebuke him when he goes astray and so on. We have an obligation to build up his name and reputation. Yes, we have an obligation to promote his physical life, but more than that, we have an obligation to Point a man to Jesus Christ who is the author of eternal life. We have an obligation to show the way of spiritual life. The way of eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the fulfillment of the sixth commandment that says thou shalt not murder. So the positive aspect of the commandment and of all the commandments is to love your neighbor as thyself. And you read about this understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 22, beginning with verse 37. There you have the positive interpretation of 
not only the sixth commandment, but all commandments. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Look at the positive interpretation. The comprehensive interpretation by the Lord Jesus Christ of the Ten Commandments. Now, let's look at Christ's prescription for anger, unholy anger, which is murder. Now, how can we deal with this problem? Let me say again, because there are people who would say every anger is wrong. Anger is an emotion. God gets angry, isn't that true? Anger is the way we can communicate what we feel. The Bible says, be ye angry and what? Sin not. But there are a number of people who don't understand. They would say, well, all anger is wrong. No. All anger is not wrong. Anger can have good purposes. In fact, we read in the gospel, Jesus was angry several times. Did he sin? Absolutely no. There is, in other words, a righteous anger, a holy anger. What Jesus condemns is the unholy anger. An anger by which you hate your brother and you wish that he be dead. And so St. John himself interprets this by saying he who hates his brother is a murderer. Such hatred expressed in terrible epithets is murderous. So what is the counsel of Jesus? The counsel is given. Yes, this guy is... uh, was angry with his brother. He cut him down. But he is a spiritual person. And he is going to the temple. To worship. He has his animal with him. For sacrifice. And he's going. And he's about to give his animal to the priest. His gift to the priest. That priest may offer it. In his name to God. And as he was Doing this or about to do this, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and convicts him that you murdered your brother. All right? And so what should you do? Now, don't give your gift to the priest. Put it down. Leave it there. Quickly go. And what do you do? You take care of this problem. Heaven will wait. God will wait. God doesn't like a person to worship God with an impure heart. Worship must be with a pure heart. So you remember, your brother has something against you. Who brought you that remembrance? God. God still loves you. And he wants you to worship correctly. He wants to bless you. But he cannot bless you as long as you are a rebel. And let me tell you, this is not something silly. We have to grow up. We shouldn't be against somebody for silly things. So I would say this against, that someone has against you, has something against you means it is something substantial. It is something real, not something silly. You did something to him that was not in love but in hate. You manifested unholy anger. 
You hated your brother. That's the idea. You wished him dead. You did something terrible. You spoke something terrible. You acted in a way that is absolutely terrible. And your anger has produced anger in the other brother. God causes you to remember this incident while you are in the temple, while you are in the church, or while you are preparing for the Sabbath. God brings to your remembrance. Before you started your car to go to the church, God reminds you. You caused your brother to be not at peace with you. You caused your brother to be separated from you. The Holy Spirit comes upon you and gives you conviction. So what do you do? Don't worship. Leave your gift there. Quickly. Go to your brother. Right now. God will wait. Heaven will wait. Be reconciled. Meaning, do everything in your power to establish a harmonious and peaceful state between you and your brother. Do everything within your power to do it. You must repent of specific sin that you committed. You must ask forgiveness for specific sin you committed. And you might, must make restitution if required. Spare no effort. It's urgent that you be reconciled to him. It's urgent that you be at peace with him and he with you. It has to do with your eternal salvation. And if you refuse and if you remain stubborn, and you will not go and be reconciled to your brother. It is proof that you have no eternal life. But if you do, go and establish a harmonious relationship. And it proves that you are born of God. And let me tell you, it is also the responsibility of the other brother. The offended brother. You read about that in Matthew 18. And the offended brother also must go. The offending brother is going... And the offended brother is coming. Both are interested in reconciliation. And he must rebuke him. And the other person must repent. And ask forgiveness. In the name of Jesus Christ. And everything is, is taken care of. You read Luke chapter 17. Verse 3 and 4. If your brother sins. Rebuke him. And if he repents what? Forgive him. If he sins seven times a day and comes what and says what? I repent. You forgive him. And if you don't, you are not born of God either. God requires acceptable worship. Not acceptable to you, but acceptable to him, which is a worship offered with a pure heart. Look at uh, the worship of Cain. And he came, he came to worship, but his heart was evil. And God refused to accept his worship. And you read 1 John chapter 15. And there you find Saul worshipping. He was told to wait. But he refuses to wait. And he offers sacrifice. And Samuel comes and tells him to obey is what? Better than worship. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 1. Where Isaiah speaks about worship. That is disorderly. A worship that God refuses to accept. A worship from an impure heart. Isaiah 1 verse 15. When you spread out your hands in prayer. I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. 
Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice and so on. Turn with me to Psalm 66. It says in verse 18, If I had cherished the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. In other words, <laughs> we, we think God accepted my worship. When our heart is impure, when we cherish the sin, when we refuse to deal with sin, and but we came to the church and we covered ourselves with the shroud of ceremony and singing and praising and praying, and we went home. But the truth is, God did not hear that prayer. He did not accept your worship. Instead of blessing, we are cursed. But God will wait. You go, be reconciled, be in good relationship, be at peace with your brother, and then come and you worship, and God will accept our worship, and he will bless us. We cannot cover our unrepentant, unforgiving heart, a murderous heart, with the shroud of ceremonies. That's what the Pharisees did. God sees through it all. We cover it very carefully, but he sees through it all because he is the one who knows our heart. So be reconciled to your brother first. Do it first. Do it quickly. Do it now. Or turn with me to Mark's gospel, chapter 11, where Jesus says something significant in the same line, Matthew 11 and verse 25. And when you stand praying, you are in the temple, you are praying. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. So that your father in heaven may forgive your sins, you see. Then come back, offer the gift with a pure heart. Clean hands, pure heart. And God will accept your gift and bless you. Why do you think some of our prayers are not answered? Why do you think it is? Let me tell you. Because these prayers and worships were offered with a heart that was not pure. We do not settle with the brothers and sisters that we had problem with. And so our worship was not acceptable worship. Instead of blessing, we were cursed because we cherished sin in our heart. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. It is urgent. While you have opportunity, while you are on the way with your adversary, settle it out of court. Good relationship is of primary importance in worship. Be friendly, be of one mind. You see how different sixth commandment is when it is interpreted by Jesus Christ. How deep it is, how broad it is. And this is the way then our righteousness must work. Exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. The Pharisee says, I never killed a person, therefore I am righteous. But Christians understand, if you hate your brother, you have murdered him. And you have to confess, you have to repent, you have to get right. 
But you ask, how can I fulfill this interpretation of law by Jesus? It is so broad, it is so deep. And the judgment also is so heavy. If I hate my brother, I'll go to eternal hell. Well, let me give you some answer to that. First, cry out to God. Jesus came to fulfill the law perfectly. Every law perfectly. As our mediator and representative, he went to hell so we can go to heaven. Cry out to God to help you. He justifies the ungodly with his own perfect and divine righteousness. Cry out to God that he may have mercy upon you. Number two, cry out to God. While you have opportunity, while you are still living, he will give you his divine nature. He will give you new birth and cause you to love God and his righteousness. Cry out to God. You cannot do it. You see, you cannot exceed the righteousness of Pharisees in your own strength. Cry out to God, though, that he may give you a new heart, new attitude, divine nature, by the miracle of new birth. Number three, cry out to God, and he will enable you to repent of your sins. He will enable you to humble yourself before God. He will enable you to believe in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. That's what I said to you. Number four, cry out to God. He will adopt you as his own sons and daughters and cause his Holy Spirit to come and dwell in you. He'll do that. Number five, cry out to God. He will cause you to will and to do God's good pleasure. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you fear of the Lord. Number six, cry out to God. He will cause you to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. He will enable you to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Instead of hatred, the love of God will be poured out in abundance in your heart. You know, that's what the Bible says. You cannot love anybody, but God will pour out his love in your heart by the Holy Spirit in such abundance. That you will love your brother and sister. That you will have good feelings toward them. That you will speak words of grace to build them up. Number seven, cry out to God. He will enable you to lay down your life for your brother. You see. That's interesting, isn't it? He who murders, (laughs) stop murdering, but lay down your life for your brother. Then you will have fulfilled the sixth commandment, isn't it? And John tells this in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. What radical change. We are no longer murdering anybody. In thought or word or in deed. We so love God and our brothers that we ourselves are laying down our lives for our brothers. That's Christianity, isn't it? That's miracle. Miracle of miracles. To change our heart to such an extent, the murderers are now laying down their lives for their brothers. Let me tell you, you discover the secret 
Jesus said, what is the secret? My yoke is what? Easy. And my burden is light. If you are born again, you will discover that. If you are not, you will say, his yoke is not easy and his burden is not light. St. John in 1 John chapter 5 verse 3 says, This is the love of God, love for God to obey his commandments. And then he says, And his commands are not burdensome for those who are born from above. Hallelujah. Let me then acknowledge That we cannot have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes unless God helps us. And even now I'm sure the Holy Spirit is bringing to your attention some problem with your brother, with your sister. Maybe you committed a murder yesterday, day before yesterday, last year, last week. A murder in thought, a murder in word, a murder... In the heart. And you spoke. Or you did whatever you did. If the Holy Spirit is here. He must convict us. Isn't that true? There if you what? Remember. We are prone to forget. But praise be to God. His Holy Spirit comes upon us. And he causes us to remember. And he gives you. The ability to go. And take care of it. And come and worship and receive a great blessing. It is my prayer that we will prove to be not murderers of our brothers, but lovers of our brothers and sisters to that extent. We lay down our life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we all stand affected by your word. Like the Pharisees, we have reduced everything to a manageable proportion. And we gave ourselves a good mark. Faultless. Perfect. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your view of things. Your interpretation which is deep and broad and high. And we confess we cannot do it, O God. But we thank you for your salvation. You help us to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love our brothers as ourselves. And beyond that, to lay down our own lives for our brothers. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.